Hey guys, this is Aoife doing a bit of pre-episode context with the guest person we have for this episode. Hello. So this is Jamie. Um, They are a guest on this episode talking about a book called Exodus. But the thing is that back when we recorded this, Jamie was going by a different name. Um, So do you want to give context there? Um, yeah, I have changed my name since we recorded this, but we didn't want to have to record the whole episode. <laughs> Obviously, we were using my old name throughout, so I have given permission for Aoife to leave in my old name where necessary. Yeah, um, so that's, um, that's what this little bit of preamble is. It's just recorded on laptop microphone, so it sounds bad, and I promise the rest of the episode will sound better. Pure etiquette. It's fun. Enjoy the episode, guys. Forever Young Adult of the podcast Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I talk about young adult fiction. As you might have noticed, that's not Kira. So... This week is a special episode which is unmoored from time. We, right now recording, do not know when you're listening. Uh, You, listener, can know that we are recording in January 2021 if you want. And this is just going to be an insurance episode for times when we can't record on a given month. So instead of having Kira here, we have number one fan of the pod, Patreon supporter for how many months now at least a year at least a year so listeners think about it if you donate to our patreon for a year you can come on the pod and tell your very favorite podcasters about your favorite ya book now that was me presuming it's always very possible that kira is your favorite podcaster well it's just really exciting to be getting to talk to either of you you know I've been a fan for so long I never could have imagined I'd be sitting here having a conversation with one of you well (laughs) we do anything we can for our fans what do you want to talk to me about today the book I want to talk about is Exodus by Julie Britannia which was my favorite book for at least a couple of years um when I was a kid and I reread it recently and it holds up I think so that's what I'm going to chat about Hmm. Um, right from the offset, Exodus, that's a Bible. It is a Bible, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is um, sci-fi, or I've seen it called like, cli-fi, for like climate fiction, climate sci-fi. Interesting. Um, because it is set in the year 2100. And the premise is that most of the world has drowned, basically the sea levels have risen dramatically and everyone is just left scattered around in these tiny little isolated islands. So you read that when you were a teenager first? Uh, pre-teen, I think. It was published in 2002 and I think it was probably not long after that that I read it. Uh, so I was at least eight, um, somewhere in that kind of region. How precocious. Yeah, um, at that age I just read anything I could get my hands on. So It seems kind of early. 
for that kind of speculative fiction. Now, I know climate change is not a new thing, and it's even in 2000, it was many decades known about and thought about. Um, but I guess it's, I'm surprised that it's such an early book. Yeah, it definitely wasn't in the public consciousness as much back then as it is now. I mean, this was pre An Inconvenient Truth, for example, mm -hmm. pre Day After Tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. It was inspired when Britannia saw, I think, a documentary or heard in the news or something about some South Pacific islands that had been kind of swallowed up by rising sea levels. Um, and this was, yeah, what kind of prompted um, the thought because the protagonist of the book is living on an island at the beginning that is being swallowed up by the sea. That is interesting. It's, like you said, it was. it's now much more in the public consciousness. I, of course, study sustainability as part of my current master's degree and a real point of contention with the Paris Climate Agreement is the two degrees temperature increase which is sort of allowed for mm -hmm. would actually cause increase um, a, a level of increase in sea levels that would drown many micronations many island nations uh, one story which might be somewhat context relatable for the listeners to the pod is that the Quileute tribe who you might know from Twilight are an actual First Nations tribe in the north west in the northwest of North America or Turtle Island and their school and their I believe community centre is at real risk of first like tsunamis and secondly flooding so they are looking to relocate to higher land it is an ongoing concern yeah i think this was def book was definitely intended partially as a cautionary tale to its readers that climate change is a real threat i mean i think in fairness the sea level rise portrayed in the book is higher than any actual experts are estimating but you know there's some creative license allowed for a fictional story yeah we only have so much water on this <laughs> yeah, planet yeah so how did you come across this book? You said you were eight? eight ten, something like that, yeah. So I don't remember for sure. I'm assuming someone bought it for me because that kind of age I wasn't choosing, well, I was sometimes choosing my own books, but it was probably a Christmas or birthday present, something like that. You're a Scottish person, was it? I am a Scottish person, and this book is by a Scottish author and set in Scotland, or what has become of Scotland 100 years in the future. Uh, so yes, I would imagine that's why it was in bookshops and, and chosen for me. What impact did it have on you? Well, it, well, like we were talking about with the sort of, obviously, climate angle, I think it was one of the first times probably that I'd seriously thought about climate change as an issue. You know, it brought that to my attention more than it otherwise might have been at that age. Um, but yeah, I would just, I read it and reread it dozens of times probably over the years um, there is also uh, it's actually the first book in a trilogy so I have read the second um, in the trilogy I've never actually read the third because I aged out of it by the time it was published basically um, but it was originally intended I believe as a standalone so I think it still works really well as just a novel on its own as well cool. um, and again related to being Scottish, um, I sort of it, later in my life it gained some more resonance for me because a lot of the action of the book is set around um, the sort of 
drowned ruins of what used to be Glasgow um, and specifically Glasgow University which is where the author studied and also where I studied so when I moved over there and started seeing all the locations from the book that was very exciting for me. I have been in Glasgow with you and you have done a lot of oh my god luck. And that street name is a character name from the book. And yeah. this is long after you had lived in Glasgow and studied in Glasgow so it's yeah. kept its influence. Tell me more about uh, who wrote this book. Yeah so Julie Britannia has lived pretty much all her life near or in Glasgow as far as I can tell. I think she's from Kilmarnock originally which is like a bit southwest of Glasgow but then as I say she studied at Glasgow University she now lives in Glasgow so I'm assuming that heavily inspired the setting of the book. I think Glasgow's really cool. It is, I also think that. I think it's very punk in its energy. Mm -hmm. Always been a very like working class industrial city and it's kept that while also like becoming a big centre for culture and stuff as well so that's a cool combination of influences. I'm afraid with your accent I'm not exactly sure how I'm meant to be pronouncing this author's surname. Is it I believe Britannia? It's, no, Bertania. Bertania. B-E-R-T-A-G-N-A. Britannia, okay. Yeah. So kind of... I think it might be Italian origin. Okay. As far as I can tell. I was trying to like find a video of someone saying it to confirm that it's a pronunciation, but couldn't. Mm -hmm. but that's my interpretation. Maybe it's Bertagna. So, Bertagna, or Bertagna. I was going to try give a Miz or something, and then I was like, wait, no. Is there a title for author? Um, but I don't think there is, but we can say... Our writer mm -hmm. uh, studied in Glasgow, uh, watched a documentary about sea levels rising. Yeah, or saw it on the news or something like that. And yeah, saw these islands um, in the South Pacific that had drowned. And I think that was the original inspiration for the story. Um, and the rest of it kind of drew around there. Uh, and then a lot of her books have been set in Scotland or influenced by Scotland in some way. Um, she's written, I think, 11 novels now all for either children or young adults um most of which yeah have some sort of scottish connection um yeah. is this her first book i don't believe so okay I think it's sort of somewhere in the middle is she still writing she hasn't written anything for about 10 years now i think it's been a while okay so i'm reminded a lot of margaret peterson haddocks an author i covered a book by i mm -hmm. believe uh, about a year ago at time of recording and she also wrote a lot of books some of which were related most of which were standalone with a lot of cool concepts kind of for the younger uh, target age for YA and uh, hadn't written for a while so mm -hmm. similar yeah well, tell me about the book I guess unless there is more you'd like to share uh, that's about all I know about the author mm -hmm. so yeah um so it is about a 16-year-old girl called Mara, who, as I say, is, when the book opens, living on this small Scottish island called Wing, which I believe is meant to have originally been part of the Orkney archipelago, um, but it's not really specified, it's just somewhere in the north of Scotland. Um, we open at midwinter, actually, in the year 2099, and then, yeah, quickly learn that over the preceding 100 years or so, the sea levels have risen dramatically. Most of the land on Earth has been drowned. Um, Scotland's a good place to be in that Scotland case. Scotland is a pretty good place to be, yeah. Um, but yeah, Mara and her community don't really know 
what's happening in the wider world these days because there is no more news they have a, they have a bit of contact with sort of other nearby islands but other than that they're very isolated um but then they kind of eventually have to come to accept that the sea levels are still rising and they don't want to admit it but eventually they the island is going to be swallowed up entirely and so Mara sort of spearheads the search for somewhere else they can go to and she discovers that there were these sky cities built sort of 50 years or so before um, which are not literally in the sky but they're kind of these tall futuristic uh, cities built on these big towers um, which everyone had kind of thought were just a fairy tale but she finds some evidence that they're real and everyone packs up and sets off in boats to try and get to the nearest one which is in Glasgow so that's where the bulk of the the story takes place and yeah she so that's where we're talking about the name exodus mm -hmm. there's kind of multiple events in the book that are an exodus um it's i was Do you want to just find the term for our yeah sorry um what is the definition of the term everyone leaving a place i guess um it was about leaving the garden of eden in the bible originally um so Mara and almost everyone in her community leaves her island. Um, she later sort of leads a mass emigration slash escape from the Sky City a bit later as well. Um, there's a lot of moving on that happens. I was reflecting on this. It's I really like the character of Mara and it's a good thing that I do because she's the only character that sticks with us throughout the whole book. Um, I was going to say, actually, do we get much insight into the other people in her original community? I'm sure there are people who aren't super into the idea of leaving mm -hmm. their home. Okay, so my first impression is that Mara has one problem-solving strategy, and it is leave. <laughs> and I love it. Um, but are there people who are looking at other solutions? Does it seem like there are other available solutions, or is Exodus your main choice yeah we see a bit of a back and forth there aren't really any other solutions being suggested um the other position among islanders is the seas have to stop rising eventually let's just wait let's see. just wait basically yeah um surely they can't rise any further it'll be fine you know set on repeat for 40 years exactly yeah, yeah. um but eventually through a combination of Mara and her allies arguments and the fact that the sea keeps rising everyone kind of it does buy into the idea that okay we do have to leave mm -hmm. so you kind of get introduced to her on her island and some of the people she knows fairly early on they all set off on this journey some of them are lost on the journey everyone else arrives at a refugee camp and from the refugee camp which is like around the walls of the city because mm -hmm. obviously this city was their great shining hope of refuge but then they get there and they're not allowed in and there's hundreds of other boats for other people who've arrived with the same idea and also not been allowed in and it's hellish yeah um so they're there for a while and then mara manages to sneak into the city alone and so at that point everyone from her old life is left behind mm -hmm. and we're into just her in this sort of netherworld of Glasgow um, beneath the big sky city that's been built on top of it okay that is a really interesting 
really interesting story. I think the concepts here are really good. And again, wow, this was 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, refugee crisis, uh, fleeing because you've got no better option and coming to a place that seems like a good potential, but turns out yeah, don't, don't want you. Um, also a very yeah. salient. When I, yeah, when I re- reread it recently, I was like, so much of this is still so topical, you know, 18, 19 years on. Well, an interesting thing, and this is just a tangent about the refugee crisis, is that there isn't a huge increase in the number of people seeking refuge in Europe in particular mm-hmm. recently. The crisis is actually, what do we call the decade before the 2010s? Mid-naughties? Mid-naughties onwards. Uh, refugee resettlement services were just gutted. Mm. There is no... There is some change in scale. Obviously, the Syrian conflict has led to more refugees. But in terms of the number in Europe, it's not a huge difference. It is just that uh, the discussion has changed and the presumption that you should attempt to Mm. help someone fleeing. So it's really Europe's response that's made it into more of a crisis rather than an actual increase. Yeah. people seeking refuge yeah. and and the ideological fear mm-hmm. of waves of people um but mara's not waves of people she's just she, one she's one person yes yeah. so she sneaks into glasgow and she gradually discovers all these people who are still just living their lives um in that underworld um who nobody in the sky city above really knows or cares about um, but they're kind of scraping out this very marginal existence um, so there's kind of gangs of feral children for one thing, one of whom she sort of adopts because he helps her get into the city and reminds her of her little brother. Are they below sea level? The tops of hills and tops of buildings are still poking out. So there's a lot of like sculling around on boats to the next little island and stuff like that. Venice. Yeah. I was just wondering if we're meant to think like the walls are watertight or that so I feel like if most of Orkney is underwater, then Glasgow yeah, is... Yeah, <laughs> the geography of it doesn't entirely work out, it has to be said. Okay. Well, that's okay, because it's for a philosophical point. Yeah, rather. exactly. It's and a, a story. semi fairy tale kind of a story. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, yeah, tall buildings and the higher ground are still there, but a lot of it is underwater. Uh, and so yeah, this is the point in the book where if you're familiar with Glasgow, names and places that you recognise start cropping up and you're like, oh, Mara doesn't know where she is, but I know where she is, which mm-hmm. is very fun. <laughs> um, and so the other group of people she meets are called the tree nesters, who have the built these nests for themselves in trees. That I can see where the name yeah, comes from. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And they have all named themselves after different areas of Glasgow with the intention of preserving the memory of what's been lost mm-hmm. you know like the, the actual locations have been drowned but I'm called Gobbles and you're called Pollock and whatever and so we're remembering it's very unfortunate that the place names are this huh because what a cute idea but one of them's called Drumilaw that's quite a nice name okay and, yes. and you... a little baby's called Clay Slaps which is cute that's a cute baby name <laughs> Clay Slaps is a very good Baby name because if you give a baby some clay, yeah, they're gonna you're gonna see some action. Oh, are does this culture allow 
does this culture allow for nicknaming or does the sacred duty of keeping these names alive <laughs> preclude that? Um, I don't think we ever hear anyone being called by a nickname from memory. Question about world building. Mm-hmm. Do we know how aquatic ecosystems are doing? We know that the sky cities are getting all their resources, as far as I can tell, from like kelp and fish. Okay. So something's happening in the sea. Because uh, that was what my other question then was going to be was, how do they get food? So the tree nesters are growing their own food. Um, they've got sort of little orchards and you're growing vegetables and stuff like that. So that's what they're living off of. The people in the refugee camp are mostly starving and bartering with each other for food and some of them are eating the very polluted fish and dying from it mm-hmm. and the little sort of feral children are also yeah just scavenging as far as we can tell but it, what's the food provision for the city is it all ocean harvested as far as we tell yeah um so all we know about the city pretty much comes from what mara discovers so we obviously mm-hmm. don't get the full this is exactly how everything works um but yeah there's a lot of talk about they basically seem to use stuff like kelp and then do high-tech science stuff to it to make it resemble lots of other types of food so they'll put like synthetic flavorings and whatever into it to make it not just feel like you're eating kelp all the time interesting interesting a sushi based uh, diet yeah it's part of the contrast we get between the sky city and the outside world where everything in the sky city is very like it's all a technological marvel and on the surface it seems amazing but it's all very synthetic and cloying mm-hmm. um and mara's sort of comparing it to the like earthiness of the real vegetables that she got given when she was with the tree nesters and whatever because the next development in the plot is she makes her way up into the sky city itself this is a quite similar plot structure to to the Hunger Games trilogy where obviously within each book there are discrete plots but the overall plot of the series is somewhat you know this person from a very disadvantaged area mm-hmm. meets people from a slightly better off area learning more and seeing more about this very strange world and yeah I mean I wouldn't say that the tree nesters are either more or less privileged well i guess by the time she's become a refugee they are more privileged in that they have a stable home um but not more privileged than the islanders originally were but Mm -hmm. it's only a different way of living and that's something that continues from i haven't reread it recently but from what i remember of the second book Mm -hmm. we explore more communities and basically see how different sets of people have continued to make their living and to survive in this post-apocalyptic world basically in the world of sustainable development we call these livelihood strategies and they are strongly formed by the resources and institutions surrounding the individual or household yeah so like you get some slavers in greenland and there's a whole floating community who are out in the sea and stuff so there's both show up in the second book in the trilogy that's cool so yeah like i've touched on two of the main themes in the book there's a lot of discussion as you would expect from a book that is about sort of climate change and sustainability um about the importance of nature um so 
for example, like I say, there's the... Everywhere in the real world, you get little mentions of how both people and animals and plants are still clinging on, even in the ruins of this drowned society. And they always are this kind of sign of hope and resilience when they do show up. And that is something that Mara really misses when she goes up into um, the Sky City. Because ironically, the technology of the Sky City is all based on natural structures. Mm-hmm. Um, the original engineers of it, we get to hear a little bit about. Um, and they were into, I think, natural engineering is the phrase used. So basically, yeah, take their inspiration from like, oh, they sway in the wind, but don't fall in the same way a tree does and, and that kind of thing. But sort of biotech? Yeah, I suppose so. But there is no actual life there other than humans. They have fake pets and synthetic um, views and whatever. Um, like there's this bit I made a note of because it was a good quote. Um, Mara is sort of leaning on a bridge and admiring the view and at first it seems quite nice but then she kind of realises um, the fish are fake and swim in endless electronic circles. The tree and its bird, the crystal sky and sunset are all fake too. Even the bridge is made of mock stone. It's a false enchantment. So yeah, there are many issues with the Sky City mm-hmm. um, but part of how its wrongness is shown both Tamara and the reader is that it is all fake and lifeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the conflict between Mara and the tree nesters because um, Mara at one point goes to like break a twig off a tree to throw into the fire because it needs some more firewood and the tree nesters are all horrified by this because to them trees are sacred and Mara's like oh well I don't really know about trees there aren't any on my island which again horrifies the tree nesters mm-hmm. and like that was that was a dead and horrible place that you came from if there weren't any trees um <laughs> which is also Aoife's view of a landscape without any trees it just upsets me um but I do wonder at these people's forestry management (laughs) skills it could be very well that if trees are sacred then like the pruning and coppicing and pollarding of trees so that they remain healthy and like bear fruit is a sacred activity and it's not that you shouldn't do it as in it shouldn't be done it's you shouldn't do it as in we've got a special high priest who does Mm. it because otherwise i'm like oh tree nesters (laughs) don't know how to tell you this but you should probably break some twigs off your trees occasionally. Yeah. I think, again, it might be another case that we have to call it artistic license. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, sometimes the person writing a book knows a lot about a lot of things, but there's one or two things that you know more yeah. about than them. And that's not a fault of the book writer. No, it's just something you have to live with. Yeah, we're just... We're all just occupying this world together. Um, you mentioned at the start that Mara's community is very isolated. Mm-hmm. And other than some trading communication e-links with other similar settlements, they don't know what's happening in the larger world. I presume the people in the, ci- in the, I presume the people in the Sky City aren't like that. Do they have communications with other they places? They have communication with the other Sky Cities. 
they are deliberately discouraged from thinking about anything outside of the cities. So the vast majority of the population don't know that there's refugees around their walls, don't know that their cities are being built with slave labour taken from people who've been kidnapped from the undercity or from um, outside the walls. Um, so a big part of the sort of third section of the book, which is Mara's time in the Sky City and then leading this escape from it, is working out with Fox, who I actually haven't mentioned so far, probably should have. He is um, the love interest and also key to the success of Mara's plan. He lives in the Sky City um, and is the one who first... He and Mara had this brief online connection when she was still on the island. Wait, what? Yeah, so... <laughs> the people on the island are very isolated and have very little connection to the outside world, but there is... Mara, as far as we know, is the only one who has access to the dead internet, essentially. Okay. So nothing new is being posted and she's never encountered anyone else on there but she kind of treats it like an adventure playground it's like a virtual reality okay kind of situation so she's like zipping around the place looking at tower stacks of old knowledge and whatever but yeah has never met anyone else then she falls out of the web and meets sees a fox and suspects, although she actually has no way of proving it, that he is a real person, like he's not some kind of bot. Yeah. He is an actual person who exists in the world. And they have a couple of lines of dialogue. Does she know how she is perceived in this space? It's never explicitly said. It seems like she just looks like herself. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works, really. It's interesting, like... Okay, I want to know. I feel like it is important to know more about this whole web thing, but also interesting that the resident of the Sky City that we know has a name of an animal and also seems to be a furry. Yeah. <laughs> also seems to be a furry, given uh, the complete lack of naturalness you mentioned. Yeah, so Fox's whole deal is that he is unsatisfied with life in the Sky City. He doesn't exactly know why, but he cares deeply about the past, which is not something that people in Sky Cities are encouraged to care about, and there's very little information available about it, so he has to sneak around the internet and like weird corners of the internet to find out, to get these little scraps of knowledge about history, which is how he encounters Mara, because they're both in this sort of outside space where they wouldn't normally have been. Um, and yeah, exchange these couple of lines where he, basically she learns there are people out there. I think he lives in one of the sky cities that I've heard stories about. And this is what inspires her to go on her search and find the location of a sky city and tell her people this is somewhere we can go and be safe. Convenient that he's in the nearest one. Yeah, <laughs> it is. That worked out well. Yeah. So... Yeah, she then, again, isn't 100% sure he's real, but feels like he is, and does manage to find him once she gets into the Sky City herself. And that is when they start working together on their big plan to um, 
one tell everyone in the Sky Cities what's going on in terms of, like, your lovely life is based on the suffering of other people. Mm-hmm. And also to free those people and to lead them to somewhere else where they can actually have a good life since the Sky Cities are clearly not working. <laughs> I guess the book is called Exodus, so we have to expect certain themes. Um, but I'm wondering if the Sky City structure is irredeemable, given clearly there are people there who know about nature. Um, so if you reduced inequalities, could at least it be a sustainable settlement for a some number of people? Yeah, so... Spoilers, They're not policy but... makers here, huh? No. So... Okay, so it's like spoilers for the end of the book, but that is what Fox ends up staying behind to try and do, basically, mm-hmm. is reform the Sky Cities. So Mara leaves with boats, which Fox helps her to organise, and they head off to Greenland. And Fox goes down to the Netherworld, meets one of the tree nesters who chose to not go to Greenland. Uh, and, yeah, um, he sets to work there spreading information, recruiting other sort of like-minded people within Sky City society who will help him to reform it Mm -hmm. and make it, yeah, more equitable. Mm. But they basically are aware that's going to be a long process. Mara's not willing to wait to save her villages and the tree nesters that she cares about and have been taken as slaves. Because she has one skill and it's leaving. And it's leaving places. She's really good at it. Well, okay, she has two skills. One is... Actually, they might be the same skill. Uh, it's leave brackets via the internet <laughs> and leave brackets actually for reals. Yeah. That is cool. Um, I'd be interested how the theme develops of, you know, of Exodus um, is in the later books because you can only keep leaving so many times. Eventually, you're going to need to find... I mean, one person can keep leaving, but... <laughs> Not everyone, forever. Yeah. Well, the, the other books aren't called Exodus. Yeah. The second one's called Zenith. Um, I forget what the third one's called. Crash and Burn? Maybe. <laughs> we go up. It is interesting to call your second book Zenith. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the three-act structure, the resolution is very important. You would be annoyed if you read a series of books and it just stopped in the middle of a big battle because that's, <laughs> that's all the interesting yeah. stuff done <laughs> i guess so you need at least a chapter to wrap things up yeah it is very interesting i'm interested in the fact that there is a diversity of options given for how these problems can be solved it yeah. isn't just keep leaving and find a new place there is you know some people will have to leave some people will have to try fix what's there etc yeah. mara's a lot of Mara's own inspiration comes from the dying words of her friends, friend, which were keep going and never stop. So that kind of sets her path, I guess. Never stop, never stopping. Never stop, never stopping. Exactly. Yeah. It was a very touching moment. <laughs> okay. I mean, that and Watership Down is my other thought, but I don't know that quote off. It's like, what? um,. If they catch you, they will kill you. But first, oh, they must okay. catch you. So yeah, you must be, you know, quick and mm-hmm. whatever. And it gives a bunch of titles. And it's like, and your people shall never die. Yeah, 
there is also a theme of the importance of both history and stories, which are the same thing, mm-hmm. um, etymologically speaking. And also in many and languages also, yeah. currently. And... and yeah, just all the same thing. Um, so, you, like I said, Fox is a weirdo in Sky City society. Is he a jughead? He is a jughead, yes. Yeah. Jughead furry boy. Um, His real name's David, but Mara calls him Fox. Well, <laughs> that's a. I think that Fox is Fox because uh, he's clearly chosen. Yeah. Well, has he chosen to be called Fox? Do we know that he chose to look like a fox on purpose? Yeah, he's chosen his avatar to be a fox because he is sly and sneaky and scavenging and a furry. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> he's a furry and his persona is sly and scavenging. Yeah. It's not explicitly said that he's a furry, but I think it is very strongly implied. See, I'm... Apologies to any furries listening. I don't know the intricacies of the sh- subculture, but I believe choosing an avatar is <laughs> it. Is choosing your persona. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be, like, a, a sex thing or whatever. Mm. It can just be a... I would like to be... Yeah. A fox... <laughs> Does he have a fursuit somewhere? Maybe. He has a fursuit in his heart. Yeah. And also on the and internet. And on the, the internet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so we've got our... Yeah. So he... Furry. Yes. Our furry, David slash Fox, cares a lot about history. Has... There's a sort of... Sort of inspiring, I guess, but also quite weird bit where he basically puts together this like hologram presentation... Thing to one to like show up for everyone in Sky City society all at once to one bring down all their systems so that Mara and her pals can leave and to educate them all about what is going on and that their society is built on these like corrupt foundations um there's like there was like a kind of eugenicist thing when it was first getting set up as well just to add to its badness mm-hmm. um, they were like we can't save everyone we're just going to take the best and brightest of humanity which is gross yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah he put together this presentation and he gets these holograms of like Elvis and Martin Luther King and Harry Potter and it's, it's really bizarre only one of those is fictional yeah why, why is there a fictional Marilyn Monroe is there as well I think why is she's real and and are these people speaking yeah so he is first showing them to Mara which is them like giving clips of things they actually said in real life Mm -hmm. so like you've got Martin Luther King's I have a dream Mm -hmm. speech Um, but then Fox programs them as part of this big plan to deliver his message about the sky cities I mean we have the technology for that as it stands yeah Exactly. Which is interesting because we didn't in 2002. No, and it has has sort of happened. Um, their search function is terrible, though. That is something that they don't have. They don't have enough librarians. Yeah, but that is tied in to, again, the theme of how history and stories have been almost eliminated from the society because Mara is like, I want comforted... I want someone to tell me a bedtime story or something like that. And so she searches story and like nothing comes back on the on the Sky City search engine. It's like story of a building. She says no, like a like a story and yeah. So that's again extending that theme, which is in contrast to 
the tree nesters who although they were distrustful of books and the university do place a great emphasis on the importance of like an oral tradition of poetry and stories and they would tell each other a story every night around the fire and Mara's friend she makes their gorbals is their poet and so his job is just to like write new poems and tell them and write stories and things like that. I see an influence of Celtic society there I don't know how much that was a thing in Scotland presumably somewhat but Mm -hmm. that very closely resembles the bardic tradition of storytelling that would have been the case in Ireland up until I mean even until the present but certainly until about the 1700s there was a huge emphasis placed on you know oral storytelling and while there would be bards who are specifically to draft new music and stories there's also a certain level of knowledge everyone is supposed to have because it's your education in the society and mm-hmm. it's the rules I'd be interested like I don't want you to try to describe the entire world building of this place but um Mara 16 mm-hmm. is Fox a similar age yeah and the tree nester friend that Mara has um, also roughly the same age yeah so I'm wondering about the relative independence of the people at this age like is Fox meant to be in education is Mara still considered a child uh what is what is the social role of a 16 year old and is it mm-hmm. similar across these societies yeah so Fox is an adult he has a job he is, does not seem to be in education um, he just yeah, seems to be living his life as a young adult, pretty much independent, has his own flat, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, Mara was still being treated like a child, basically, like she was still living with her parents, no one was expecting her to get married yet or anything like that. She was, I mean, they don't exactly have jobs on the island because it's all just like farming mm-hmm. but she she seemed to be more in kind of helping with chores situation rather than an independent person expected to pull her weight equally to any other adult and she wasn't apprenticing or anything no. um and uh, but yeah among the tree nesters again gorbals which is the friend who seems to be at least roughly her age again has the job of of being their sort of poet bard person and it seems to be an adult mm. um Drumi Law, who is only a little bit older, is a mother of a toddler, well, like a baby toddler, and that no one kind of thinks that's weirdly young, as far as we can tell. So yeah, it it does seem to be a a world off outside of Mara's Island, at least. It does seem to be a world full of people where you become an adult young. They mention the the like feral children as well. They sort of mention a couple of times that they basically like breed too young is kind of their phrase. Mm-hmm. So they do have ideas about what is the right age mm-hmm. um, but they basically seem to breed as soon as they are as soon as they hit puberty basically and can <laughs> which will happen <laughs> which will happen if you have children running around with no adult supervision yeah yeah you could also of course attribute the some of the culture on Mara's Island might be a bit wounded in survival mode you might yeah. not want to acknowledge your children growing older if you're looking around and seeing that your social structures are breaking down and your survival is that's true 
it also has the most continuity though with life as that it is, is currently in Britain. Yeah. Because it's the same people who have been living on the same bit of land for hundreds of years. It's just become a island now instead of a hill. <laughs> interesting. That is, it seems like a really, really interesting book. Who would you recommend it to? Definitely any young person who is interested in climate change. Um, I mean, I guess you might have to worry about scaring them further, but it does show multiple communities of people surviving and continuing so it's sort of hopeful in that way they don't dwell too much on all the people who died um, in I the previous decades a lot of people talk even jokingly about the apocalypse yeah. and how we're in an apocalyptic age and it's very defeatist mm -hmm. and it's not useful and it's not accurate yeah where if you're terming you know, uh, climate chaos as an apocalypse, or if you're ter terming our current pandemic an apocalypse, then there are so many other things you need to term apocalypses and you need to deal with the fact that a future is possible beyond it, just that we have a hand in predicting what that future will be. Yeah. And I think that's a lot more reassuring as a message it's more realistic as a message and yeah. empowering than just the world is ending yeah it's not this is going to be the end of humanity mm -hmm. it's this is going to be a big change and a big challenge but people will continue on in some form and there are things you can do right now yeah. that will make the other side better yeah i think i agree with you then that it's a it's a very good book for i mean young people and not so young people yeah i i know when we've discussed books aimed at a younger demographic on this podcast before, sometimes find them a bit preachy. You reread it recently, did it feel preachy or spoon-feeding-y? Not in regard to the climate stuff anyway. Um, there was a thing I was going to bring up in my as my low light where there's kind of a feminist message which felt like she's making a valid point but it felt a bit clunky and not integrated that well into the story is it something about how women are compassionate leaders who nurture as part of their nature and therefore men destroy the world it's mostly not that good yeah <laughs> um it is um how women have not being able to contribute equally to history or at least not the bits of history that are remembered and how that's largely because they've had sort of caring and household responsibilities and there's a bit of reflection on like well isn't creating a human life actually the you know one of the most amazing things yes but also they should be allowed to be engineers and inventors and things as well mm -hmm. which you know like is all true as i say it just um felt to me like a little bit of an afterthought rather than something that was kind of woven in naturally. Mm -hmm. So that's your low light of the book then? Yeah, it's, it's not a major thing. It just, yeah, when it came up, I was like, okay, like either explore this theme properly or leave it out. Don't just kind of mention it a couple of times, but not really do much with it. Mm. Um, 
What would be your side lights then and your highlights if we're getting into this? Yeah, <laughs> um, my highlight is just the character of Mara. I think she is a protagonist I really like. Um, she's very brave and stubborn and in contrast, like, this is maybe unfair, but some other YA books, I feel like the protagonists are a bit passive or don't really think about things. Um, they'll be like, you, the reader, have put together what's happening way ahead of them because it seems like they're just not engaging their brain or making educated guesses based on the information they have. Whereas Mara like thinks about things, comes to reasonable conclusions, um, so that stops you from being annoyed mm-hmm. by her in a way that I sometimes am in other like YA books. Cool. That's certainly a strength. There's a weak protagonist can really ruin a book. Yeah, because... especially since, like I say, Mara is the only person who's there all the way through. There's no like best friend who's also there constantly to distract you like yeah. it's just her a lot of the time yeah so when it's just her and if she's bad then that's yeah. not pleasant yeah she is also um willing to grapple with sort of big ethical questions which is something she has to do because she keeps encountering things like slavery and like is it can you change the system from within or do you need to burn it all down and you know these are questions she grapples with but also she manages to keep moving forward and acting rather than getting kind of so bogged down and thinking about these things that she doesn't take any action and on a meta textual level it's a it's a skill she needs because she's the protagonist of a book about climate change yeah (laughs) yeah and it helps obviously the readers to start to think about these questions as well if they're quite young they maybe haven't before but she's there to kind of guide them through these things to some extent she also consciously stops herself from thinking about how she's not like other girls mm-hmm. which i appreciate um there's like a point where she's annoyed at the kind of frivolity and ignorance of the young people she's talking to in the sky city um so i guess she realizes that she really is not like other girls but that that's because they've had hugely different life experiences and she, she thinks to herself like it's not fair to judge these people when I would be just the same if I'd been brought up in this society um, but then realises they've been deliberately encouraged to be yeah. ignorant and, and they can be better yes that's a little bit different from the not like other girls thing like it's a very important message for 16 yeah. year olds to learn but I think the not like other girls bit is often much more this other girl in a situation that I see as exactly like my own mm. is stupid and frivolous uh, but I suppose that is also because of factors surrounding you. Yeah. That is a good a good thing to have in a protagonist though. Yeah. Yeah, so I like her. And what are your side lights? My main side light would be um sort of like I said earlier, the fact that there's all these little kind of Easter eggs if you know the city of Glasgow. Like, oh they're at the cathedral and the Acropolis and oh Hill of Doves, that's Dove Hill and all the characters are named after places in Glasgow. So it's very fun. Either if you first know Glasgow and read the book, or if you read the book and then go to Glasgow, as I did. Both ways is pretty good. I love clay slaps. Yeah. <laughs> that is really cool. It seems like a really good book. Mm-hmm. 
are really interesting and I'm always a supporter of the older books on this podcast. Kira mm. tends to be the one who finds like the new releases and stuff, yeah. Yeah, whereas I love I mean, I guess similar to Fox in this, I love finding the old stories, mm-hmm. um how people have been grappling with the same problems for a while. Like I really do hope a lot of people will look up and try read this book because it is it would be very interesting to get a 2002 perspective on this problem that yeah seems topical now but there's still a real dearth of stories like this yeah it was quite ahead of its time in 2002 like as we were saying at the start people did know about climate change but it wasn't like top of political agendas in the way it's starting to be now and the top of people's personal list of priorities yeah um and yeah it does the same issues are still issues now you know Mm. it still is very topical yeah it's really good um it's not enormously easy to get a hold of would be the one problem with recommending it to people um but it it is out there if you reminder to everyone that you can find most books in your local library and should you not find them in your local library you can put in a purchase order with your local library and say hey I'm interested in reading this book. Could you make it available? Particularly if you have like two or three friends in the same area as you and you all ask that you can have a copy of that book, then the librarian will be like, oof, teens really, really, really (laughs) want to read this book from 18 years ago for some reason. Yeah, they just really love Exodus by Julie. Julie Britannia. Britannia, yeah. and I do as well. I think it's good. I'm not going to promise to read it because, as we know, I don't read. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I read approximately 30 books every year, but I am not in control of which books those will be. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you for telling me about it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, is there any social media you'd like to plug or anything else? Uh, no. <laughs> so, in that case, I'm going to remind you guys listening that you too can become a Patreon of the podcast. And we may or may not have you on to talk about your favourite book, but you can definitely force us to read a book. Technically does have the power to make me read Exodus. Yeah. And talk about it on the podcast. Again. (laughs) Yeah. You could have another special episode where we have read a book that someone else has already read. Yeah. We were talking, me and Kira, actually about doing a book this year and again. This podcast is unmoored in time, so this could well have happened. Doing an episode where I read Tuesdays Are Just As Bad by Kathleen mm. Leahy. <laughs> so uh, we can do the the opposite way around yeah. of Kira having to pretend like she hasn't read it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you guys for, for joining us for this very special episode. If you want to figure out why we didn't upload a normal episode this week you can check out our social media you can find us on twitter at foreveryapod or on instagram at foreveryapodcast if you really liked what you listened to and would like to give money to our patreon and force us to read books perhaps one day you can find us on patreon.com forward slash foreveryapod again you can make us read a book Um, if you don't have money I completely understand and we just hope that like if you like the pod 
and you think you know someone else who likes the pod or might like the pod, let them know about us. Much like a book from 2002, we might just languish on a shelf if people don't spread the word. So please do it. Um, and yeah, if you listen to us on a podcasting platform that allows for reviews, give us a review. Um, we don't know how to access reviews. If we did, we'd probably talk about them on here. You can also just email us your thoughts about this episode or any other episode if those thoughts are too wordy to put in a tweet. And instead of reading your, my email address right now, I'm just going to put it in the show notes. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you. We're going to do the thing where we try to say bye in sync and it's almost musical. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> oh, wow, you failed. <laughs> I did Okay. I thought it'd be a count in. No. Okay. <laughs> bye. bye. We don't count it in. We do it natural okay. every time. Okay. Outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at Forever YA Pod. And on Instagram at Forever YA Pod. You can also email us at Forever YA Pod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at Forever YA Pod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.